Hey, welcome to the CMO Whisper Show. I'm your host, Steve Olensky, part marketing practitioner, part ad agency veteran, part journalist. I was a writer for Forbes for 10 years. I've had so many insightful conversations over the years with business leaders, to athletes, to celebrities, to, of course, CMOs. The only difference now is instead of sharing those insights through written form, I'm doing it this way. My guest this week is a good friend who also happens to be one of the most influential marketers in the world, Raja Raja Minar, the CMO of MasterCard. Over his 10 years with the brand, he has transformed MasterCard into one of the top 10 most valuable brands in the entire world. At the helm of the iconic priceless platform, he and his team are on the cutting edge of experiential, multi-sensory marketing for consumers and customers alike. He has extended the reach and impact of the brand by embracing AI and Web3 technologies while also pioneering new standards in inclusive design. What an incredible conversation I had with my good friend, Raja Raja Benar. Raja, what an incredible honor. Uh, you and I go back to my days at Forbes and we hung out at places like the Grammy Awards. It is so good to have you on my show, my friend. Thank you so much, Steve. Always a pleasure reconnecting with you. You are somebody who I have got incredible regard for, and I have seen your work over the years and your insights over the years. And uh, thank you very much. I feel very honored to be on your show today. Well, I, I appreciate that very much. And there's a ton of things I want to get to. I don't even know if we'll get to it. I'm already going to say we're going to do a part two at some point. So as we're recording this, we're about a month out from the Super Bowl. So I'd like to start there and get your thoughts on the Super Bowl. Now, I know MasterCard, correct me if I'm wrong, has not done a Super Bowl ad for about 20 years, which predates your time, right? And I'm curious to know why a brand such as MasterCard hasn't run a Super Bowl ad, or and is there any plans to run one in the future? Right. You see, I, I have a healthy respect for Super Bowl and the kind of audience that actually it makes available for brands to reach to. Our philosophy and my approach at MasterCard has been a little different, which is we used to be a very advertising-led marketing company till about 2012. So in 2013, when I joined the company, I came up with this hypothesis that advertising is becoming more and more expensive and less and less productive. So the return on the investment that is being made on advertising was actually shrinking. Now, if you look at the dynamics as to why it is so, it is very evident. Firstly, on an average, a consumer is bombarded by anywhere between 3,000 and 10,000 messages every single day. And that is an incredible amount of clutter that any advertisement that's going to now come in has to cut through and stand out. Coupled with this, the span of attention of human beings is now just under eight seconds, which I am told is less than that of a goldfish. So with that narrow span of attention on the one hand, and with this incredible amount of clutter on the other hand, I'm not surprised that ROIs are dropping for advertising on the one hand. Then I'll take the second situation. As a consumer, when I'm standing when I'm sitting in front of my computer and I'm looking at uh, some programs, the ads, I see them more as an interruption into my in my experience, and it is an annoyance at many levels. 
So I'm watching a beautiful video of a song from Bollywood or some animal videos, which I like. Every three minutes or five minutes, my experience is interrupted. And I see an ad or two that I don't care for. Hmm. They're destroying my experience. So what do I do? I go to ad-free environment. And I'm paying for those ad-free environment subscriptions. So the point is that in order to keep these advertising pests out of my way, I'm paying money. And that's what a large number of consumers are doing. And if you see, for example, Netflix has 190 million subscribers. From what I understand, Amazon has got a ton of their subscribers. Many of these people are using those platforms to get ad-free experience. So when I'm looking at this whole environment and saying there are more than 600 million people who have put ad blockers on their digital devices, what is it telling me? It is telling you that consumers are not in favor of interruption of their experience through advertisements. Number two, the advertising clutter has gone up. Number three, the span of attention of consumers has gone down. Therefore, we at MasterCard pivoted away from being an advertising-led marketing strategy to an experiences-led marketing strategy. And from that perspective, Super Bowl is a great platform, of course, but because we are not advertising first, that's not a platform that I'll jump onto immediately. Because you blink an eye and your 30 seconds and $5 million disappear. Mm. And so it's it's a big investment from that point of view. And in terms of experiences, those 5 million will give me a lot more experiences that are valuable in the context of what we are trying to do as a business. So a lot of it has got to do with our business strategy and a lot more of it has got to do with our marketing strategy. And communications, obviously, is just one sliver. Advertising is just one sliver of your total marketing strategy. You know, I, I get asked all the time, is the Super Bowl, running a Super Bowl ad, do you think it's right for any industry and any brand? And it's hard to answer that question, right, without, first of all, obviously knowing what the brand is and what the industry is. Because, one, you have to know that. But the Super Bowl has always intrigued me in that it's kind of a melting pot in that you you know this you get people watching the super bowl who one are not sports fans per se so the demographics are all over the board right you really have no idea who's watching the super bowl and its ads so it's hard to target right does that make sense see i think typically when you run an ad campaign first of course you want to know who your target audience is or what target audiences are Number two, what is the message that you're giving them? Are you announcing something exciting or are you reminding something or are you telling your story about a particular value proposition? What exactly is the objective that you're trying to accomplish through advertising? And number three, they say the context impacts the message perception quite a lot. So if you look at, for example, it's a very somber, solemn topic that you're talking about. An exciting you know, sporting event is not necessarily where you will show up because there is a mismatch between consumers' frame of mind as they are watching something and compared to what your product is standing for and what you want to do. So from that perspective, what I would say is it depends whether you know it is a catch-all solution for every brand. The answer is no. Is it a catch-all solution for every context of a given brand? The answer is no. So therefore, the long way of saying it is, do we know the audiences of Super Bowl? Yes, absolutely we know. 
uh, and we study them quite you know a, a lot and figure out who are the people who are watching what kind of programming, what are their profiles, and not just demographic but psychographic and a whole bunch of you know behavioral segmentation. You've got all that stuff there, but in terms of you know again Mastercard's own approach, as I said, we are much more focused on experiences. And yes, we are still there in advertising, but then our advertising strategy is very different than to put big money behind big events. Mm, makes makes perfect sense. It really is a subjective decision, right, for a given brand. That's It sounds like that's what it really comes down to. Mm-hmm. You know, Let me pivot to a more agnostic question, and it's about marketing in general. And it's about what marketers are doing wrong, quite honestly. And I want to break this into two parts. Because I get asked this, again, a lot. And I want to ask you, what are marketers doing wrong from an internal as well as an external perspective? Well, what I mean by that is internally, you know, we always hear about CMOs, shortest average tenure in the C-suite, blah, 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 right? Everybody knows that. And I have very distinct reasons why I believe that is. But internally to others in the C-suite and the board and stakeholders and getting the recognition and proving the value of marketing – what are marketers doing wrong to an internal audience, in your opinion? So I think there are some marketers who are doing a brilliant job, and there are others who can learn from them. So when I look at what's going wrong internally within organizations of how CMOs are conducting themselves, what are the biggest problems we are facing right now? I would even say that this is an existential crisis of marketing. Many CMO roles are being eliminated and replaced or complemented with other C-suite roles like chief growth officer, chief revenue officer, chief customer officer. These responsibilities actually used to stay in the past with the CMO. But when now you're bringing these other C-suite executives and you're taking out these responsibilities from a CMO, what is left in marketing? If you take away revenues, if you take away growth, and if you take away customer, what is left behind in marketing? And that is a reflection of the state of no confidence as far as marketing is concerned. Now, let's take another step. There are surveys which have been done amongst CEOs of various companies. An overwhelming two out of three CEOs have expressed that they don't have confidence in their CMOs or in their marketing departments to drive growth. Now, that is a disaster. If your CEO doesn't have confidence in marketing, driving growth profitably, That's an issue, which means we are doing something wrong as a marketing community. And what is that? What we are doing incorrectly or inadequately is to connect the dots between marketing actions and business outcomes. Many of the times when a CEO or a CFO asks a CMO, hey, you have spent $10 million on that particular campaign. What has it exactly done to our business? The typical answers are, well, our brand has improved in its perception. Our ratings have gone up for the brand predisposition. Our some funnel has, you know, shape has changed, and we are getting a better flow through. The problem is the CFO and the CEO don't care for those. They want to see what is the impact on my top line, what is my impact on my bottom line, what's the impact on my profitability or my customer retention. We are not able to, as a marketing community, articulate this very clearly and credibly. With the result of age. Their confidence is shaken up in marketing. They say, look, we really don't know if this money is being well spent. And if these guys 
i.e. the marketers, are answering a business question in marketing terms and in marketing jargon, they don't have patience. They just lose their patience. I said, like, let's find somebody else who can do it. Hmm. And that's what is happening on the internally. Now, externally, there is another thing which is happening. Now, for example, if you look at boards, board of directors, right, of various companies, you find a very tiny representation of marketers there, CMOs there. And why is that? It's the same thing. The first one, CEOs don't have confidence in marketing and marketers. And therefore, a lot of CMOs are not able to find a job or find a role on the boards of other companies, which is really a pity because they can bring so much to any board. And I have been serving on a board, a public board for the last 11 years. And I know what value I can add and what I have been doing there. And that company sees the value I'm bringing to the table. But there are so many other CMOs who are fantastic, but they're not getting the opportunity because the CEOs don't see marketing adding value. So this is one part of it. The other one I would say is the world around us is changing so dramatically with all these new technologies coming in. Now, this is not the first time it's happened. The first time it happened was in mid-1990s. Most of the senior marketers, they have come from the qualitative side of marketing. They understand sociology, psychology, design, brand, brand perception, all these good things. But they are not as comfortable with technology. They're as comfortable with numbers. So it's a classical divide between the right brain thinking and the left brain thinking. And most of the marketers are on the right side of the brain, whereas technology, analytics, data, all these are on the left side of the brain. Now, when the world around you is becoming technology intense, when it is so much dependent on data, if you are not on top of technology and on top of data, you are already obsolete. And that is what is happening. In mid-1990s when it happened, uh, first time when internet was introduced and digital marketing has come about and data-driven marketing has really taken root, a lot of traditional marketers have lost their seat at the table. And a new breed of folks from Silicon Valley started coming in, performance marketers. So these people are not necessarily looking at the foundations and fundamentals of marketing and understand what is going on. All they do is A-B testing experimentation, quantification, and you know, automation. These are important, but they're not sufficient. So what I think marketers are now missing is, I would say, the whole brain thinking to literally be like Leonardo da Vinci. You have to have the right side brain thinking that you already have as a good marketer, but you need to cultivate the left side with getting familiar and comfortable with data and technology and all these good things. And if you are not fundamentally capable yourself, of having those kind of capabilities, surround yourself on your team, people who bring those complementary skills to the table. And between all of you, you have got a Leonardo da Vinci kind of a team. Yeah, it always, speaking about the the disconnect with, with consumers, it drives me crazy every time I see a study that shows what marketers think what consumers want versus just actually asking the consumers. And I'll say, no one cares what marketers think. And just... <laughs> We're not marketing to ourselves. Why do we keep asking marketers what they think consumers want? Exactly. <laughs> it, it just drives me. And I can't, you know, I just saw another one. I'm like, this is 2023. It was last year. Why are we still doing this? <laughs> like, you know, some Raja, how should we market MasterCard? Like, I don't know. I'm, we got to talk to the customers. It, it's that simple. We overcomplicate things. And when I say we, I mean marketers. It, it just, it fascinates me from a human nature perspective, by the way. Why do we overcomplicate things so many times? I don't get it. Anyway. Okay. 
Let's look at the market in, in general. And, and do you think, are there any types of advertising and, and communications that's vulnerable to any changes in the market, in the marketplace? Yeah. See, I, I think, firstly, advertising is not just about communicating a message and cutting through the clutter. It is also about understanding both the individual consumer dynamics and the societal dynamics. So if you are not having the finger on the pulse of the society and the changing trends, the changing winds, you might come through as being a little out of touch. That can have a dramatically negative impact on your brand. You always have to make sure that you understand the culture, you are authentic to yourself as a brand, you cannot ape. And suddenly, say for example, if you are a traditional brand, Suddenly, you cannot behave as though you're a millennial brand and try to talk their lingo and dress up like that and show those kind of visuals. That's not going to change your brand image, if at all anything. You will look like a, somebody who is imitating, somebody who is aping, or somebody who is actually pretending. And that doesn't build trust. That doesn't build connection whatsoever. Now, that's something which we have to be careful. So as a brand, you need to know what you stand for. As a brand, you need to have the personality the style of how you represent yourself as a brand. You embody and manifest the values that you as a brand stand for. And in that context, you try to communicate the messages that you would want to communicate in the most appropriate way, in a way that that is believable, in a way that is authentic, and in a way that impacts and moves the needle as far as consumer perception about your brand in a positive way. And on the right platform, of course. Absolutely. Medium is the message, too. Absolutely. Is there any, by contrast, any communications medium or platform that you think may surprise marketing by how much it grows over the next few years from now? Yeah, you see, if you see some of the platforms, like TikTok, for example, mm -hmm. the way it has been growing has been commendable. And unless you understand the psyche of the folks who are on that platform, you'll really not appreciate how and why that platform is growing and has been growing so rapidly. My own forecast or prognosis as for the future is concerned, you will find more platforms actually coming up, new platforms that are not in existence today, because creating a platform and gaining scale will dramatically alter with the advent of new methods, whether it is through artificial intelligence or tomorrow if metaverse gets somehow the scale or if augmented reality becomes big, the, the nature of interaction of consumers will change. And therefore, the mix of which platforms which consumer is on will undergo a dramatic change too. So from my perspective, what you see today as the mix of platforms is not going to be the same mix give three to five years from now. Interesting. And obviously, the, the elephant in everyone's room right now is AI, right? And what effect, what effect that's going to have on everything we're talking about. Yeah, AI, I think, is probably, you know, one of the most powerful technologies that's going to impact all of us. It is not new. It has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. Even at MasterCard, we have been using it for the last 10 years. What is being talked about now and so much of hype, so much of attention is to gen AI, generative AI. Mm -hmm. Now, generative AI can have a profound impact. I have seen actually in my own context of, the, of MasterCard how it can improve how you write briefs to your agencies. It can give you brainstorming ideas. 
it is it can really be a, a co-pilot for you it can be a fantastic tool for you it cannot be a substitute for your thinking or for your creativity but if you are familiar enough to use that platform smartly without abdicating your thinking and creativity to the platform i think you can create magic you can create efficiencies and you can be so much more cost effective cost effective and uh, speed to market can be dramatically high in in fact i'll just give you an example i have seen you know we have got something called the rfp factory mm-hmm. at mastercard so when a b2b in a b2b marketing context say one of the banks is floating an rfp so we respond to the rfp in the past to respond to one rfp to put all the relevant data together and answer all the questions that the bank is asking us for and put that even before you put financials and offer details etc that's called draft zero it used to take about 6 to 7 weeks at a minimum to get a good draft zero now it takes less than 4 hours mm. so that that is a kind of change that we are talking about the dimensional shift on productivity and speed it can be amazing and that's what gets me very excited i said look this is like in the in the days when my elder brother was doing engineering they used to use a slide rule for calculations by the time it came to my generation we started using calculators which i used to look at my brother and say my god these guys are dinosaurs and we are so advanced with calculators and you can do things so rapidly then the next generation came along with excel spreadsheets now each one of these is a vastly productivity enhancing tool or platform that you can take your attention away from that unnecessary drudgery and focus on the higher order thinking whether it is creativity or analysis or whatever it is you are taking your thinking to a different level because your time is not taken up by these silly tasks so in the same way ai can take a lot of silly tasks or routine tasks menial stuff out of our way and they can also be a very good thought starter for a lot of new ideas to be brought up and then you can work on them and then uh, really you know bring them to fruition i'm very excited about gen ai yeah i am too and and i still hear and you probably hear this too is a lot of of that fear and reticence right of ai taking jobs we becoming too dependent on ai and i don't i don't see that yeah i think you know i have seen examples where jobs have been eliminated and some of the most recent announcements we have seen their jobs have been uh, eliminated because ai is making them redundant because their tasks are being done or some of the tasks that they're doing is now being done by gen ai mm-hmm. but on the other hand i also have seen new jobs being created right. like prompt engineering and so on for ai now the question is how many new jobs will come in to compensate for the loss of the old jobs that's still up in the air but the point is people always felt that when a new technology was coming that the people will actually be out of jobs but time and again the evolution was such that a lot of new jobs and new economic activity has been created with these new technologies the need is for people to reskill themselves if an individual is doing one kind of a task today that has been now taken over by ai then yes it is a loss of job but then that individual if he or she is sticking to not learn not to reskill they are in trouble and this is what i would say for marketing too i can tell you very clearly the number of writers who will be there in an agency is going to dramatically come down but the smart writers will actually start leveraging ai to create world class product 
than ever before. Because uh, as I keep saying, it is not simply giving some dumb instructions to the AI and the AI churning something out and you putting it out there in the world. A good writer will take advantage of the stuff that the AI does, takes it to a different level and give a superior output and product to the world. Exactly like what marketers do or should be doing. So I'm, I'm excited uh, at so many levels about Gen AI from that perspective. And believe it or not, I have set up my own small, I call it Gen AI Studio. AI Studio is a big word. All it is is a MacBook Pro <laughs> that I've got, but loaded with a ton of appropriate software. And I keep playing with them and I keep getting more and more overjoyed by the kind of capabilities that it gives you know, from simple things to very complex tasks. And I'm, I'm learning and I'm taking lessons regularly every weekend to figure out how to use AI platforms and uh, f- for what purposes. So it's been very, very exciting. I-, I love that about you too. I know you're like me. You never stop learning. You never stop being curious. So one of the most interesting of many aspects of MasterCard over the last few years is product development is brand content. And what I'm thinking of are the notched cards for partially sighted customers or the Your Name initiative, which allowed people to express their gender identity on their card. Can you talk a little bit about how those came about? Yeah. So, you know, when I was growing up, my mother's mother, my grandmother, she used to live with us. And she went blind. And so me and my sister had to assist her with her daily living tasks at home by holding her hand and taking her towards the bathroom or making sure that she is not hitting at any obstacle. And even when she's sitting at the table for food, we need to show where is rice, where is curry, where is water, so that she doesn't knock things out, things down. And I used to feel very sad and sorrowful, say, oh my God, you know, poor thing, she doesn't have eyesight and how horrible it is. I, I used to really feel for that. Now, fast forward, about four four years back or so now, I was at South by Southwest. And one of my colleagues uh, who also attended the conference along with me, he is uh, from finance department. So he walked up to me and said, Raja, you know, I'm just thinking, how come we don't have a card for blind people? That was an aha moment for me. I said, look, I should have been the first guy to have thought about this, solving this problem because I have seen how well, no, what, it, what it is know, to have a family member who is blind. Now, how are they navigating today when they go to the shop? What happens? How do they identify the card? How do they know which card is what? How do they know that the card is held the right way up? Because until recently, we used to have the letters and alphabets embossed, mm-hmm. so which means they are raised and you can feel. But that's going away. When that goes away, the customer has no way to say which is the front of the card, back of the card. It all feels same when you touch it. So I said, we need to solve this problem and make it easy. So when I went and actually started observing some customers who are blind at shops, it's very sad. What they do is they take out the card and ask the person standing behind or the counter person, say, that, hey, which card is it? Now, you would expect that the world is fair and that they're all good. But unfortunately, there are bad actors who can take that data and then totally exploit this uh, vulnerable individual. So I said, okay, we need to have a way to identify or for the blind person to identify uh, the the card, what card is what, and am I holding it the right way or not without having got to ask someone. So that was a simple thing. So we came up with a solution, which is almost like, you know, overly evident, self-evident or obvious. So we put a small notch on the side of the card just below the center. So when the customer touches the notch and sees it is to the right and below the center of the card, 
then they know that they are holding the card the right way. Mm-hmm. And if they feel the shape of that notch, if it is, for example, like a half circle, it is a debit card. If it is like a half hexagon, it is like a credit card. It is a credit card. And if it is like a V, it is a gift card or a prepaid card. So the shape will tell them what kind of card it is. The notch tells them the orientation of the card is right. And the fact that there is a notch means it is my MasterCard versus some other card. So that one single notch can really play a significant role in enhancing the consumer's experience. We called it the touch card. And when we launched it, it became quite a you know big hit for us. It's one of our fastest growing portfolios in the world. And now it is available in almost 30 countries around the world. And it's growing pretty rapidly because, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are sight-impaired to various degrees, and they find this card is very, very helpful for them. So this is how we brought about this concept of touch card. So the idea is identify a real-life problem and try to solve it. Mm. The same thing with it for you know the you know, true name card, as we call it. In this case, what we found out was that people who have, you know from the transgender community, when they have transitioned, they might not have changed their name yet, or for a long time they don't, because the, the official change is a very long, elaborate, and a harassing process right now. And when they go to the shop, the name says, for example, Carla or Carly. Say so the name says Carly on the card, but the person out there says, I'm Carlos, because they have transitioned. But that name, unless it is legally changed, cannot be put on the card. So what happens is there is a mismatch between the looks of the person and the name on the card, and many times they're denied the service by the merchant, and they're given suspicious looks, saying that looks like you have stolen this card from somebody because you don't look like anyone, you know, which this name suggests. So we said this is a horrible problem, and this problem was brought to my notice by one of our agency persons who has transitioned and was going through exactly this kind of an issue. So I said, okay, where is it written legally? that you have to use only the legal name of the card and not the true name or the desired name of the individual. And when we burst into this myth, what we found, it was indeed a myth. There was nowhere it was said. It was just assumed that that was how it was, that you have to put the legal name on the card. So we thoroughly studied it. And then now we say that you choose the name by which you want to be called. And that's your true name. That's what we'll print on your card. Now, this seems again like a very small thing, but for the transgender population, it is a huge issue and it's a huge solution as a consequence. And they're very grateful. And what happens is when you take care of these people in that fashion, they commit to you in return. So what happens is all their spending, they try to do it on this card. Mm -hmm. So which means it's not only good that I'm solving a problem from somebody, I'm also gaining as a benefit for the business that my business is growing faster in those segments than my competitors, and which is a great thing. So this is how we are going about, and just two examples of how we are trying to leverage our creativity and innovation, which my team is amply blessed with. And I believe I I misnamed, it's called, it's not, I think I referenced it as your name, it's called the True Name Initiative. Did you fear any face, any backlash with this? Yeah, initially when we launched, when we wanted to launch it, no bank was willing to touch it Mm. because everyone was worried if there would be a backlash. And we said, look, this is a genuine situation. Somebody has to solve the problem. Yes, there is a a certain amount of what you call risk that is there, but you have to take the risk if you believe in the cause. And if you believe in the, you know, what you call solution that you have come up, 
in support of that cause. You have to stand by it. So we launched, we went and asked a number of banks and a BMO from Canada was the first bank which has picked it up. It has become a huge success in Canada. And then a whole bunch of other banks also got confidence out of this and we started expanding it. And now this card is available in 35 countries around the world. At the beginning of this launch, we did receive a lot of hate mail and there was a certain amount of backlash. But what we said was, look, we are not doing it to just be politically correct. We are doing it because we believe in the cause and we are bold that we will take a stance on it. Like, for example, we have been uh, sponsors of the Pride Parade in New York for years and years. So it's not like suddenly we are jumping in and saying we are doing this. We have a heritage, we have a history, and we believe in inclusion, inclusivity across the entire spectrum. And, you know, whether it is people who are blind or people who are from a particular, you know, what you call a gender or race or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We believe that all of us deserve this world, you know, to share this world. And every one of us deserves opportunities and uh, solutions that are appropriate to us. So we, in fact, at that time, the CEO of the company was Ajay Banga, who went on to become now the president of World Bank. And he used to say, look, you know, he used to wear a big turban. He is a Sikh. So he would say, look, if people were to go by looks and by the standard stereotypes, I would not have been the CEO of MasterCard. He says, I feel very grateful that I have been given the chance. And he has done an amazing job in one of the most successful CEO stints anyone had over the last 10 years. And we, he used to say, we have to do well as a company by doing good to the society. And one of the tenets or the values that we as a company will have is inclusion in a genuine sense. This is before DEI became popular. We were doing it for mm-hmm. more than 11 years now. And so when we launched, therefore, Touch Card, it was a continuation of a journey that we have already been on. And it is not a question of we were jumping onto a bandwagon because that is the latest topic that will give us a lot of visibility. That's not how we approached it. Final question as we come up against it. As you can see behind me, there's a wall of album covers. I'm a big music fan. And certain songs meet and lyrics have different meanings for me. And I always like to ask each guest, is there a song or a lyric that has different meaning to you and why? So in fact, for me, when I listen to a song, I rarely listen to the words or the lyrics. Mm. So it is basically the tune, the melody, the rhythm, the quality of the voice or the instruments the symphony it's a very different kind of an experience i go through so i don't care whether it is you know a song from india or from the usa or brazil or china or wherever it is it doesn't matter to me so long as it is you know it touches me i have been classically trained a little bit in indian classical music so i have a little bit of music sensibility and i Enjoy lyrics in a different context. If I'm listening to a song for lyrics, that's a different experience, which I also like. But predominantly, my listening habits are around the sounds itself. And for me, there are lots and lots of songs, literally hundreds of them, which I uh, absolutely keep listening to and enjoying and listening it again, again, again. So for me, one of those which has actually touched me quite a bit, I would say, is like the soundtrack of Game of Thrones. Right. And, you know, each set of frequencies and sequences resonate 
with your own body composition and mental composition. For me, when I hear that Game of Thrones, the title music, it is somehow it touches me very, very beautifully. I completely I love it. It doesn't have a single word. But again, it's for me not about words, but it's more about the music itself. So that's one I would say I absolutely love. And there are a number of songs with words that are from my mother tongue, which is an Indian language called Telugu. I love them. Some of them, and I keep listening to them. You know, different songs for different moods. Some are very energetic, some are very mellow, some are very meditative, etc. So depending on the mood that I'm in or the mood I'm trying to create for myself, I listen to a different song and I do have my playlist, which all goes with me. Yeah. And then when you go to the gym, there's another playlist and absolutely. 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 Listen, I cannot thank you enough. It is such an honor. I'm so glad to have you on uh, the CMO Whisperer podcast. Thank you, Steve. Always a pleasure, as I said, and honored to be on your show and would love to come back for a second opportunity. Uh, Thank you so very much and good luck with the show. I'm sure it'll do exceptionally well. Well, that wraps up another episode of the CMO Whisperer Show. I hope you shared this episode with your friends. And if you have not already, please subscribe to be kept up to date on all the latest episodes. And if you're so inclined, leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you. 